I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, February 23rd, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. It's 22. So, okay, wait, Jay, remind me. So what is the actual, so it's the February, okay. so it's the two second month, so, so it's the 22nd day and it's 2022. It's well, a, when we're recording, it's the 22nd day. day. It's, so if you line it up and you, depending where you put your commas and slashes, it's uh, 2202 2022. Yeah, I get yeah. it. And so, and this is only, it's only going to happen twice. Ever. Yeah, Ever. it's apparently happened a thousand, more than a thousand years ago. And it's happening, well, today as we record this. So yesterday, as people hear this, and it'll never happen again. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I read it on Twitter. So maybe it is right. And I've heard about, I've heard some speculation that there's a lot of dark energy around today. This is, uh, for those of you who are into astrology uh, and the types of people who care that, you know, Mercury is in retrograde, I think this is actually a very bad day. But I've also heard that it could be the start of a new beginning, that the bad energy is about to come to an end. So it depends on what your perspective is, I guess. <laughs> That's a good perspective. I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday, which is the other two in this scenario, but it's also like pouring rain in Toronto and it's February 22nd. It's not supposed to rain on February 22nd. The outdoor rinks are melting as we speak. So that's not great. And then I guess we'll get into it in our first story, but there's been there's some really bad news ahead. And so let's, it's, well, it's, I don't want to spoil devastating, it. It's devastating, really. But it's so bad, let's get bad to news. It, yeah. Aside from maybe the uh, t- terrible dark news or maybe a new beginning, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, no more chips. For our second story, soccer settlement. And for our third story, pay later, build now. For our first story, we don't want to alarm you, but you may not be able to find Doritos at your local supermarket for a while. Snack giant Frito-Lay is cutting Loblaw off from its products amid, what else? A price dispute. Brett, does this mean no more of my favorite all-dressed ruffles? They are my favorite. And I'm not saying it's the reason why I moved to Canada, but it's also not the reason I didn't move here. I also have to commend you because you properly said Loblaw, whereas those of us who have grown up here would colloquially say it Loblaws. And so I'm going to try and avoid that. But yeah, it does mean that. Snacks like Lay's, Cheetos, those delicious sweet chili heat Doritos, and of course, the Canadian classic all dressed. They will not be available at the 2,400 locations of Loblaw, No Frills, Shoppers Drug Mart, Value Mart, all across the country. And here's why Loblaw refused to pay higher prices demanded by Frito-Lay. In response, the PepsiCo-owned snack maker stopped shipping products to Loblaw 2,400 stores. Frito-Lay says that they have to increase their prices to make up for growing production costs, including labor, ingredients, and shipping. Even our chips aren't immune to inflation, or we're calling it chipflation, it seems. I'm going to call it the salty standoff. Oh, that's but good. Loblaw, yeah, but Loblaw and other retailers are skeptical that the price hikes are required. Dan Brisebois, CEO of the Retail Council of Canada, suggested that food manufacturers may be using inflation as an excuse to demand prices that are unprecedented and difficult to justify. So Jay, let's kind of wrap all of this up in a bow and give Peak Pals the down low on why this matters. Besides the fact that it's pretty crazy that you'll be able to walk into a Loblaws and won't be able to buy chips. Yeah, so price negotiations between food manufacturers and retailers are absolutely normal. But the threat to pull products from shelves is considered to be the nuclear option, especially with a company like Loblaw that controls more than a third of Canadian grocery sales. But with inflation driving up costs throughout the economy, producers and retailers are increasingly at odds. The former wants to preserve healthy profit margins, while the latter is trying to lower prices for consumers to protect market share. 
All of this leaves us with something of a dilemma. While we like to see lower prices at the supermarket, a world without chips is depressing to contemplate. And so <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's a bit of an interesting dynamic there. It is chipflation for sure. For our second story, a $30 million settlement between U.S. soccer and female players has ended a six-year fight over pay that pitted the World Cup winning team against their sports governing body. Jay, it sounds like a pretty huge win for women's soccer and women's sports more generally. Can you give us a breakdown? I know you're a fan. I, I am a fan and been to many women's World Cup games featuring the U.S. women's soccer team, including an epic one in Montreal. But let's start with some context. Someone point to 1921, so 100 years ago, as the start of gender inequality in soccer when the English Football Association, FA, banned women's soccer matches from their stadiums. Now, it's no surprise to anybody who's watched a women's soccer game that women's soccer has since caught up in terms of performance, but still players have cited that men get paid more to show up than we get to pay to win championships. And the U.S. women's national team has made this a rally cry. Fans have responded, and they frequently bring out pay equity signs to games. It's been a big kind of rally point for fans. And not to get too much of the point, but women's soccer in the U.S. is far better at soccer than their counterparts on the men's side. And now... Under the terms of the agreement, a resolution to a complaint filed by five-star players claiming wage discrimination, the athletes will receive $30 million and a pledge from the Federation to equalize pay for the men's and women's national teams. Now, here's the kicker, uh, pun intended. <laughs> well uh, U.S. soccer was under no obligation to settle with the women's team. A federal judge in 2020 had dismissed the players' argument, stripping them of nearly all of their legal leverage, and the appeal was not certain to succeed. Now, under the terms of the agreement, the athletes several dozen current and former women's national team players will share the payments from the Federation. So Jay, what should Peak Pals take away from this new deal between U.S. women's national team and U.S. soccer? Perhaps more notable than the payment itself, though, is a pledge to equalize pay between the men's and women's national teams in all competitions, including the World Cup, in the team's next collective bargaining agreements. Since the Federation is now looking for one agreement that covers both national teams, the men's association will have to agree to share or surrender millions of dollars in potential World Cup payments from FIFA, World Soccer's governing body. Those payments set by FIFA and exponentially larger for the men's World Cup than the corresponding women's tournament are at the heart of the equal pay divide. And more broadly speaking, in recent years, athletes in other sports, Olympic ice hockey, Canadian soccer, WNBA players, they've all reached out to U.S. players and their union for guidance on similar matters in everyone's respective countries. Norway, Australia, and the Netherlands are among the countries whose soccer federations have also committed to closing the pay gap between men and women, funneling millions of dollars to a new generation of women's players. And Jay, I know you're a fan. I'm just not a fan of the U.S. Women's. Of women's soccer or I'm, women's No, no US I'm, women's I'm a soccer. fan of women's soccer, but I'm, I'm a proud uh, patriot. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I, I have no love lost when the I, Canadians Fair enough. I, I, I freely show my love for Megan Rapinoe and before her, Abby Wambach. And if you visit my Facebook page, you will see my favorite uh, pose of all time of Megan Rapinoe. With arms raised. No one uses Facebook. She owns women's soccer, which she does. I don't know. No one, no one uses, uses Facebook, Facebook except probably yeah. a lot of U.S. women's soccer fans, uh, me and my <laughs> friends. For our last story, Swedish buy now pay later service Klarna announced yesterday that they're opening a tech hub in Toronto, adding to the trend of hot competition for tech talent in TO. Brett, 
What's BNPL all about and what's the deal with Klarna? Well, I guess let's start with what Klarna is doing in Toronto and then we can kind of work our way into how it actually sure. works. But Klarna is opening a product development office in Toronto with plans to hire over 500 engineers. This is per the Globe and Mail. In terms of how the business works, Klarna makes about 70% of its revenue through retailer fees because retailers are willing to pay about 3 to 4% fee per transaction because customers are more likely to spend more when they pay using one of these services, which is buy it now and pay for it later. And while buy no pay later services like Klarna help customers make high ticket purchases more affordable, at least in the moment, their rapid growth has also attracted the ire of regulators, primarily concerned with people taking on increased consumer debt. Now, regulators are worried that consumers popular among Gen Z and millennials using buy now pay later services will spend more than they can afford to pay, especially since these lenders don't typically run credit card checks. And what's interesting is you don't pay interest with a service like Klarna unless you're late on your payments. And so it can really catch up to you. And this is really why Klarna's Canadian hub matters, right, Jay? It is. That's right. As buy now, pay later services becoming increasingly a key driver in retail sales, which account for 2.1% of all global e-commerce transactions in 2020, regulators will continue monitoring the market as the adoption of such services is expected to grow by nearly 64% in Canada this year. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I believe that we will win. Oh, yeah, I hate that, Jay. Have a good day.